Section 28 of Narratives of Colored Americans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Narratives of Colored Americans by Abigail Mott and M. S. Wood. Ancas. I was born in Africa about the year 1789. The country of the Ibos was my home. My father's name was Durl, and mine, Ancas. My mother was my father's only wife, and she was the daughter of a great chieftain. Of four children, I was the only son, and therefore my father's pet. He always liked to have me near him, and even when he went out to work, he would take me along with him. In the midst of our ignorance, we had a vague idea of the existence of a supreme being, which we know that every heathen can see from the works of creation. We called him Thunderer, and appealed to him for aid in case of illness. A young man began to pay us frequent visits, under pretense of wishing to marry one of my sisters, but in reality, doubtless with a view of getting possession of me, a growing, healthy boy, about twelve years old. One day my father had gone out, leaving me with my sisters, and the young man made use of the opportunity to persuade me to accompany him to a market in the vicinity, which he described to me in glowing colors. We walked all that day, and never reached the place. The night was spent with an acquaintance of my guide, and our journey continued all the next day. I was struck by the circumstance that persons who met us often asked the man what he was going to do with the boy he had with him, whether he was intending to sell him, etc. He invariably gave an assurance of the contrary, but I was soon to learn what his scheme really was. The end of the journey was reached at last and proved to be a trading place on the coast. I lay down under a large tree and gazed on the scene with the light. Suddenly a stranger appeared and proposed that I should try a sail in his boat. I was frightened and refused, but found myself seized by the man's strong hand and rapidly dragged away. Then I knew that I was being taken as a slave. The man, who had brought me from home and sold me to the traders, looked on unmoved as I was hurried to the water's edge, and I could only implore him to take a last message to my dear father, letting him know what had become of me. There were several Negroes already in the boat, bound with ropes, and others were added. When the boat put off for the ship, I was so exhausted with crying that the gentle rocking motion lulled me into a sound sleep, from which I awoke to find that we were being lifted into the vessel. The white color of the captain's face filled me with no less astonishment than his black shining feet without toes, as I regarded his polished boots, 
which I now saw for the first time. The next morning I was horrified to see great numbers of people brought up from the hold on deck, to be fed with yams and rum. As for myself, I was heartily glad to be spared this confinement. I was at liberty to remain on deck with some other boys, slept in the captain's cabin, and was soon very happy. On reaching Kingston in Jamaica, the slaves went ashore, and I looked with intense longing at the beautiful land visible from the ship. I was kept on board for several weeks, and the captain told me I was destined to be his servant and should not be allowed to go ashore. On my declaring, however, that I was resolved at all hazards to leave the vessel and would leap overboard if he should try to prevent me, he changed his mind, and I was sent to a white man who took me with eleven others into the yard adjoining his house. We were purchased for the owner of the estate, Crep, and thither we were taken without further delay. My companions were sent to work in the fields. I was retained as servant in my overseer's family and called Toby. After the lapse of a year my master took me as servant into his own house, making me the companion and playfellow of his children, and treating me with great kindness. About eight years afterwards my master left the island for England, and I was sent with the children to the seaport town Savannah Lamar, where we were to attend the church and school. This was anything but agreeable to us, and I persisted in neglecting every opportunity of learning which I might have enjoyed. As to the church, I invariably played outside during the services, and my master's children were generally with me. In three years' time the master returned, and took us all back to the estate, where he soon died. The eldest son became owner of the property, and he immediately appointed me his overseer at Crepe, and subsequently at Dumbaskin, when the former estate was sold. In the year 1824, the owner of a neighboring estate, Painstown, returned to Jamaica from a visit in England. This gentleman and his lady were true Christians. One evening, when passing his plantation on my way home, I met a female servant of the family, Christina by name, who was going to draw water from a neighboring spring. I entered into conversation with her, and she told me that on Sunday there would be prayer and singing at Painstown, and that her master invited his people to attend. I asked if strangers were admitted, and was told that Mrs. Cook had frequently expressed her regret that no one from the vicinity would come to join them at prayers, and that strangers would be welcomed, not only on Sundays, but also in the morning and evening of the weekdays. This conversation made a deep impression upon me, and the thought of the prayer meeting at Painstown was continually recurring day and night, until I at length resolved to go there on the following Sunday. Sunday came, 
and I started on my way to Painstown. On reaching the house, a Negro servant addressed me in a friendly voice. At the same moment, Mrs. Cook appeared at the door, and I heard her say to the attendant, on his mentioning my name, Let him enter. I am glad that he comes. Feeling very shy, I waited outside the hall till a bell gave the summons for prayers. Mr. Cook conducted the service, which was commenced with singing a hymn. Then a portion of the scripture was read and prayer offered. I have no recollection of what was read, nor could I understand the prayer, as I knew nothing of our Savior, yet I shall never forget this hour. It was a turning point for the whole of my life. I had a feeling that I was in the presence of Almighty God, my Lord and God, and my inmost soul was deeply moved, while I trembled from head to foot. Unable to utter a word, I hurried away and remained alone in my hut. Some time afterwards, Mrs. Cooper offered to teach me to read if I wished to learn, and I had gladly accepted her offer, though exposing myself to no little ridicule on the part of my fellow slaves, who thought it very foolish of me to attempt to learn to read the white man's book. How thankful have I felt ever since that I was enabled to read the Bible for myself, and thus come into the enjoyment of a wonderful privilege saturday and sunday were free days for the slaves sunday was market day in the neighboring town and we negroes were in the habit of cultivating our own plots of ground on our return from the service at painstown or carrying their produce to the market one sunday i was so eagerly bent on making the most out of my garden that i did not go to painstown but was busy at work from earliest dawn. Suddenly the conviction seized my mind that I was not acting right in the sight of God, in thus digging and planting in hope of gain. Quite overcome with the thought, I threw away my hole, and kneeling in the hole which I had just dug, I cried aloud to our Savior, imploring him to help me in my darkness and show me what I ought to do. The comforting light was vouchsafed to me at once. While recognizing my sinful conduct in striving for outward gain to the detriment of my soul, I was assured that all my need would be supplied from the bountiful hand of my Heavenly Father, and that the right course for me was to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. From that day I never touched a hoe on Sunday, and I have been so blessed in regard to externals that I have never suffered any want. Some time afterwards I made a proposal of marriage to a young woman, whom I had known as one of the most regular attendants at the services in Mr. Cooper's house, and she accepted it. My master and mistress were at first greatly opposed to this step, but were led eventually to withdraw their prohibition, and we were married on the 8th of June, 1826. 
A few months afterwards, I became a member of the Moravian Church, one of twelve who at that time constituted the whole congregation. Many others, however, joined the church at Carmel, and the number of those who desired to cast in their lot with us as children of God increased most surprisingly from week to week. The office of native helper to which I was soon afterwards appointed, gave me many opportunities of telling others what the Lord had done for me and directing them to the same Savior. I had a great desire to purchase my freedom. I went to my master, who tried to persuade me to wait, seeing that I should be legally emancipated in three years' time. My longing for freedom was, however, so strong that I remained unmoved. I paid down all my savings and was soon afterwards able to complete the required sum, and my certificate of freedom was signed. Oh, how full my heart was! How overflowing with thanks and praise to God! This day has always been a day of special rejoicing and thanksgiving. It was the 1st of June, 1837. Subsequently, I was asked by several gentlemen to undertake the management of their estates, but I declined, not wishing to fetter myself in such a manner as would be prejudicial to my work in the Lord's cause. I was greatly rejoiced when Brother Zorn proposed to me to devote my time entirely to the duties of a native helper, receiving twelve pounds a year to provide subsistence for myself and family. I purchased a small cottage and piece of ground, and here I have lived ever since with my dear wife and the only daughter whom the Lord has been pleased to give us. Ancus died. July 1864. English Tract. End of section 28. Read by Andrew Kennedy.